We Kiwis, we were a bit unsure about the FIFA Women's World Cup to start with. The Women's World Cup kicks off at Eden Park tomorrow night, but it seems to have been slow to catch football fever. In the rugby heartland of New Zealand, there have been struggles to sell tickets. Ticket sales have been very slow on this side of the Tasman, with hundreds of thousands still up for grabs. But then our football ferns went and did this in the opening match. New Zealand, for the first time in their history, have won a World Cup finals match in front of the biggest crowd to ever watch a football match in their country. On Thursday night was one of the greatest nights in New Zealand sporting history and um, so lucky to be there, witness it. I just had a rosy glow for I couldn't get to sleep afterwards. I, I don't know about you going in, but I just thought it was terrific. And many of us have been gripped by football fever ever since. For all the angst <laughs> heading into the tournament, Kiwis have absolutely stepped up for the FIFA Women's World Cup. Started waving and then they felt the bus. And then they just came out running fast. This kind of hype from Dunedin fans. How do you guys think the game went? The game was great and excellent. There was a roof, they would have raced it. <laughs> Absolutely amazing game. I didn't expect the outcome, but phenomenal. And across the ditch, as the Matildas continue their winning ways, attracting record crowds and television audiences. I think the one key factor for me that really convinced me that this had gone completely mainstream is when I saw a man in the crowd of one of the games when they won take his shirt off with the <laughs> and swirl it in the air. And I was like, I've never seen a middle-aged man react with such fervour about women's sport. Kia ora, I'm Tom Kitchen, and today on The Detail, as New Zealand wraps up its World Cup co-hosting duties, did the tournament live up to the hype? And how do we keep all those new football fans interested and invested in the sport? Right, let's go. I'm down at the FIFA Fan Festival at the Cloud on Auckland's waterfront, and I'm playing football against Santa Brown, the host city program director at Auckland Tartaki Unlimited, the council's economic development agency. I haven't played football in, um, like that in so long, so it's really nice to come down. So, so whereabouts are we? We are at the FIFA Fan Festival at the Cloud on Queen's Wharf, and I think as we've um, just proven, it is really fun for all ages down here. <laughs> I mean, what kind of things have you got down here? Well, we're sitting in front of a 34-metre LED screen where uh, 48 of the 64 matches have been screened live and directly behind us is a grandstand seating where uh, you can come down with all the friends and whanau and uh, enjoy the matches. So it kind of feels like you're in a mini stadium, really. Yeah, that's that's definitely the, the feel. What were you expecting, like, numbers-wise, uh, and what have we seen? The numbers have really spoken for themselves. I mean, the, uh, there's been records set for attendance numbers at Eden Park um, three times. So we first saw uh, record numbers at the opening match uh, between Norway and, and the Ferns, and that was a new record for football of any gender. And that was then passed just 12 days later for the USA uh, versus Portugal game. The round of 16, uh, highest attendance numbers for a football game yet at 43,217, which is also a record for any women's sporting event in, in this country. 
and more than 665,000 fans have attended the 28 matches so far across Aotearoa's four host cities. What have you seen? Because there's been quite a difference in kind of, uh, depending on what team's playing, hasn't there, in terms of how full the stadium has been and the, the culture, the atmosphere surrounding the game in the stadium? Yeah, it's been really interesting. I think each uh, team and uh, group of supporters that they have brought with them has uh, had quite a different feel inside inside the stadium uh, in terms of how uh, those cultures and communities get behind and, and support their teams. What were we expecting? I mean, because we were pretty worried beforehand that, you know, oh, New Zealanders don't care about football, we're not going to sell these tickets. Uh, I think that's... a probably a little bit strong. We knew that uh, New Zealanders were late uh, late purchases and that um, once the, the momentum of um, the tournament had got, had got on underway that uh, that New Zealanders would really get behind it and that would sort of convert like it has done in terms of ticket sales. Were there any, um, did you have any kind of expectations of how well it would sell out? Uh, we knew that there would be um, some higher and, and lower demand matches, which we've seen in terms of the football um, football fans matches and those higher ranked teams as, as well. You've looked pretty closely at who is attending these games at Eden Park and what kind of people are coming along. So, so what have we seen? Uh, we know that uh, 18% of the... Uh, Tickets to date have been purchased by international uh, visitors. Of that, around 11% have been to US residents, so uh, really showing that, that strength of support for the Not US Americans. matches early early in the tournament and yeah. the two group stage matches that were played at Eden Park. And what about Kiwis? I mean, how many Kiwis have been showing up to the games? With almost 20% of um, tickets being purchased by um, international visitors, uh, the, um, the remainder have been um, purchased by New Zealanders, so 80% by New Zealanders. That's despite all the fear and worry before the tournament. So what happened? Here's RNZ's first up host and mega sports fan Nathan Rarere to help explain. It's a really good rewind because we get very captured in the moment, but New Zealanders are terrible at being excited about things before they happen. Right. In the lead up to it, the days beforehand, you were like, is anyone really excited about this? And But if you rewind, we were like that about the Olympics. We were like that about the Commonwealth Games, even last year's Women's Rugby World Cup, which was a huge success in those sellout crowds for the semi-final against France when against England. That thing started and then people went, oh, oh, is that on? You know, because it's kind of a New Zealand thing. We're a, uh, when we go to sports, I think as a nation, Rather than cheering our teams on from before the game and at the start and imploring them to great things, New Zealanders sit back with their arms folded and go, come on, impress me. And that's what we do, and we wait to be impressed. So for them to get that opening win over Norway, man, out came the bandwagon, and we were on it. Like, we we loved it, you know. And I think, gosh, that, that goal by Hannah Wilkinson was hugely, hugely significant and just getting more people invested in it. Wilkinson! I mean, I've, I've noticed on, you know, you, you monitor your mates nowadays with Facebook feeds. So I can see actually quite a engagement from friends that I know that particularly have kids that play football, and particularly ones with daughters. You know, it's, it's great for them to get to go along. So there's a few, there's one family, I don't know where they're getting money from, but one of them's like, you know, they've got, they got different face paint every day because they're off to watch this team or we're off to the, in fact, the teams they cheer for keep losing. So you would really hope that they're not cheering for you when they go. So it's a really interesting time for me because I've, 
stepped out of my comfort zone and I'm learning about the particular struggle that a lot of these teams still have with a giant football conglomerate like FIFA, a giant association which makes all this money, yet there were still some of the teams raising funds. You've got, like you're saying, Jamaica funding their way to the tournament just to be able to have somewhere to stay and have somewhere to train that is of a relatively okay standard. And then, of course, at the other end of the scale, you've got the likes of USA and, and England who come over with lots of money. So it is a, it's a really interesting tournament as far as the scale of it and just the teams involved go. And what about our national football team and its record? The football ferns came into this with a terrible record. They, they'd been bad for years before. They couldn't score goals. Like in the summer, um, they had a couple of warm-up games against the United States. They're getting thumped. They lost 4-0 in Wellington and they lost 5-0 at Eden Park. They conceded nine goals and they barely had a shot. That's a hard sell for New Zealanders. Like I said, we're not so good. We, we like to watch winning rather than watching sport, is, 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 is what I think. <laughs> yeah. You know, they had the warm-up game against Vietnam in Napier and they scored some goals, which was a great thing for them. The football ferns made easy work of their Vietnamese opponents, notching up a 2-0 win and gaining a huge confidence boost before the FIFA World Cup on home soil. But... Don't forget, they had to give away 20,000 tickets. Sluggish ticket sales for the Women's World Cup has prompted FIFA to offer up 20,000 tickets for free. FIFA has partnered with Zero to offer 5,000 tickets to a game in each of Auckland, Hamilton, Wellington and Dunedin. They passed them out to football clubs and that. But do you know what? It got people involved. It got them into it. They'd seen it and all of a sudden people went, I quite enjoyed that feeling. That was quite nice. Who's playing next? Columbia? Cool, I'm there. <laughs> then the thing is, I mean, that momentum kept up with the yes. football ferns. I mean, they played in Wellington. The Philippines make World Cup history. At their first World Cup, they claim victory over the co-hosts. There's your final score. New Zealand nil. The Philippines won. They played in Dunedin. Devastation in the deep south for New Zealand. The World Cup dream ends here. Switzerland nil. New Zealand nil. But then once they lost, I thought, oh, New Zealand's not going to care about this. You know, the football fans are out. We only really want to watch our team win. Yeah. But then more people turned up to the rest of the game. Which is great, yeah. And and that's it too. It's like, is there a party happening? Oh, I'll go to that and I'll be into that. And it's nice too. Look, I, I think women make better sports crowds uh, than men. I know particularly I've been to plenty of rugby games. My daughter and I went to that World Cup final last year in the Women's, women's Rugby World Cup and it was joyous. <laughs> It was a really different kind of feel to it. I mean, we had the guy sitting behind us who, of course, knew everything they should be doing and loudly said so. But there was a real different sort of joyousness to it and a, yay, this is great and we're here and isn't this amazing? And I thought to myself, if it was like this every week, you would sell Eden Park out every single time. Um, and I think what's happened is that's very much carried over. Awesome seeing lots of families going together. Like, you know, dads with daughters sometimes you're like, oh, how do, we, how do we connect here? How do I do these things? I like sport. Oh, God, you like sport too. And we're both enjoying, enjoying the moment. There's that movie Fever Pitch where, um, and the book Fever Pitch too, obviously, where, the, where they talk about when you're in that sports crowd, there's this amazing moment where there's 40,000 of you all wishing the same thing for the same person. And that is, as my, one of my friends called it, she, she went, I went to a game the other week and I made the sports noise. And I went, what's that? She went, I went, oh. Oh. 
up when everyone else did. And she went, it was really exciting. She's like, you know. Yeah, the Mexican way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and the seeing a shot go, ooh. So it's great that it, that it has progressed on as something that people want to be involved in. As well as converting many of us to the beautiful game, co-hosting the World Cups also expected to come with a pretty decent economic boost for New Zealand. $200 million, in fact. Here's Santa Brown on what it's meant for Auckland alone. So we know early uh, through those early parts of the tor- of the tournament that accommodation numbers really really surged, being sort of 50, 60 percent up on what um, what capacity was at a similar time last year. How many people have turned up to the fan festival here? We have had over 65,000 people through the fan festival since opening on the 21st of July. That's like a whole game plus more kind of thing, yeah, yeah. How have you been feeling after all of those stats? I mean, uh, what do you think this has meant for somewhere like Auckland? I mean, we know that uh, events like this bring so much to the region in terms of the immediate benefits, uh, the, the spend from, from domestic and international visitors in terms of accommodation, hospitality, other businesses. Uh, but there's a whole lot of social benefits that go with it as well in terms of um, increasing the sort of sense of pride in uh, living in Auckland and you know, obviously as well um, really raising the the profile and visibility of, of women's sport. So after the World Cup is finished here, uh, do you think we're still going to care about football? Absolutely. I think this is going to be um, the catalyst for a lot of growth in the game and inspiring not just young girls but um, young young boys um, into the sport as well. Do you think um, we're going to ever see football on par with rugby in this country? Uh, that's a difficult question. Uh, never say never. <laughs> well, I think we've seen that football has really uh, caught the hearts and minds of all Aucklanders and, and New Zealanders. Of course, not everyone's jumped on the football bandwagon. Here's Nathan Rarere again. You still can't leave the horse to water and make it drink. That's as old as time. Like I know um, my wife, she's like, yeah, you know, I'll try and watch it. She's like, just not enough happens in football. I just don't... No, I know. know. And, yeah, and I've, asked, I've asked my daughter. So, so you know, she's fifteen. And I said, at your school, has it made a big impact? Do you notice more more kids playing football? No. I went, oh, she goes, like, no one hates it or anything. She goes, it's just, it hasn't been a pick-up. I know at the primary school, um, I asked, asked her other daughter, what about, are you seeing a lot more kids playing football? She went, oh, not really more than normal, but they are still playing it. But I think that's a case where her school has quite a few kids from overseas. So it is quite a, it's quite a, a big sport anyway. And remember, in primary schools, that's where, when the numbers come out about how it's always the biggest participation sport in New Zealand, it is, but it seems to have a massive drop-off after that. You might remember Alita Shanks from my podcast back in April about how we were gearing up to host the tournament. Alita's worked with football organisations around the world and has done a PhD in gender equity in sports organisations. Over the World Cup, she's been working in Hamilton, trying to get more people into football across Waikato and Bay of Plenty. And of course, she's been getting to as many games as she can. I went to, uh, to four of the games, I only missed one. That's been amazing, amazing crowds, um, almost full for, um, I think, for almost all of them. Argentina, Sweden, I think, was uh, sold out. Their tickets were pretty hard to come by by the end. Uh, so there was around 16,500 people there for that, which was amazing. It was a very cold, rainy winter night. <laughs> so um, to get that kind of crowd was amazing. 
the Argentinian fans, they were very vocal, um, didn't quite get the result that they were wanting, but um, like, lots of drums, lots of singing um, to try and, you know, to encourage their team on. It was also just awesome to see everyone getting behind the team. So we didn't end up having New Zealand play in Hamilton, unfortunately, but still to get those crowds there supporting all the other teams that were in New Zealand, sort of adopting them and, and supporting um, their their World Cup journey. How do you feel to, um, you know, have all these people getting behind women's sport and women's football? Yeah, it's, it's really exciting and for, for a number of reasons, I think. Um, for me, I was as a as a football fan or and someone who works in football. I guess I was I was always quietly confident that we would get the numbers um, to the games. We have over one hundred twenty thousand uh, adults play football in New Zealand, and twenty five thousand of those are women, and we've got fifty thousand kids who play football as well, who all have parents and grandparents and aunties and uncles and sister and siblings. I gather that you are a football fan and or you have many friends that are football fans, but anyone you know that still can't be bothered with it? You always get the negative naysayers, I guess. We've recently done a survey of our football community in the Waikato Bay of Plenty around what they would like as a legacy um, from the World Cup. And there we, we got a few negative responses to that, but mostly it was really positive. What kind of things are people saying in this survey? What we're looking for um, is for women and girls uh, teams and players to not be an afterthought. So they want their their clubs and their regions and the national body to uh, give them the same attention and the same priority that, um, that all players get when they play football. That was the main thing. You talk about the few negative responses too. I mean, what were some people saying? Oh, there was a few people who were just um, triggered even just by asking what gender they were, which is a normal you know question in a survey. So I, I don't... I guess I, I won't, don't look too closely into what um, they were saying, just that they, but I think the what we can take from it is that there are these people who are in our football community who have quite negative towards equity or, you know, women and girls being involved in, in, in football. And so that's just something that we need to be mindful of um, and a, a challenge, I guess, to address. So there still might be people that look at the game and look at women playing and think... Um, negatively about it. They'll just they'll have sexist, homophobic, racist comments. Quite quite aggressive um, and and triggered by some really non you know some really normal questions around gender or how they felt about the World Cup. It's interesting. Um, it's always disappointing and quite a bit heartbreaking to to read those kinds of comments. But I think if anything, this World Cup has debunked a lot of myths that. We hear um, like what you know. That, so there's often we get that the, the the old tropes of no one watches women's sport or it's not exciting. And I think this World Cup has just showed that that's not true. That people do watch women's football. They watch women's sport. It's been very exciting. And just having everyone getting in behind the World Cup um, has just smashed all that out of the water. Over in Australia, the Matildas' dramatic quarterfinal against France was the largest television sport event in at least a decade, with an estimated average audience during the game of over 4 million. I understand as a legacy manager, you've been working on a few initiatives, uh, and this is happening around the country, to help girls and women get into football. What have you been doing there? 
Yeah, so we've we've got a number of initiatives from New Zealand Football's uh, Legacy Starts Now uh, plan. Uh, so one of these was Fantails, which is a program for girls who are under the age of 12 who haven't played football before. Uh, and we're getting some really great numbers. So in Rotorua and in Matamata, we've had more than 50 girls uh, sign up in, in each of those areas. Um, so they've never played football before, and there's, there's 50 girls giving it a go at the moment, um, which is just amazing. That's amazing. What are these girls telling you and your colleagues about why they're joining football and participating in it? They've seen it on TV. They've seen the, uh, the woman, you know, playing at the World Cup. They want to, it looks fun. They, perhaps their friends are playing football. Um, and so they just want to, to head along and, and give it a go in a really sort of um, warm and safe environment. How else do you think we can keep the momentum up for women's football? Oh, I think that's the that's the million dollar question. When you show it, when you play it, um, when you make the women's sport accessible, people watch it, people will come. So I think we just need to really prioritise and work out how we can keep that momentum going and keep um, women's football and women's sport, live games and on TV and in the media, uh, keeping that, that sort of that visibility really strong. So that because we know now that if you show it, people will watch it. Commentary from the games in today's podcast is courtesy of Sky Sport. That's it for today. I'm Tom Kitchen. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by Phil Bench. Our producers are Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Santa Brown, Nathan Nanade, and Alita Shanks. Ma Tewa. Thank you.